0: All right, all right. How many of you are excited about Christmas? I really don't know how to accept that right there. I mean, I'm excited about Christmas. I like Christmas. I used to love it when I was a kid because I got gifts, right? I mean, that's why you love it. But now I love it because I like all the stuff about Christmas. I like the music. I like the the food. I like the movies, Come on, it doesn't get any better than Christmas vacation. And listen, let me tell you something about Christmas vacation that really gets me excited is that they've actually officially come out with a yard inflatable of the Griswold wagon with the tree on top. I mean, how awesome is that? Okay. Maybe I'm the only one. Listen, I want to help you guys out at Christmas time. Is that okay? I want to help you out at Christmas time during this Christmas season. Because how many of you, speaking of gifts, seem to always end up getting a gift that you really don't like? Anybody? Anybody? Some of us. In our family, there's a particular individual that gets a gift every year, and it's like totally just something that you look forward to them opening up that gift because you know that it's not something that they want. And so it's like, it's, it's awesome. And I'm not the one that gives that gift, by the way. I give good gifts. I just want to say okay? But anyways, they're, 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 you know, I have been on the receiving end of some gifts that I didn't necessarily like. But what, what, what like, like some of us need help in that moment. You know, when you open it up and you notice what it is and you're just immediately disappointed. You need some help on how to come back against that. So I want to give you the top eight things you can say to help you when you find yourself in this situation. Okay? Y'all okay with that? Y'all better be busting out some notepads and some pens, because this is good stuff, okay? Number eight, you can say, well, 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 now there's a gift. All right. number seven, no, really, I I, I don't, I did not know that there was a Chia Pet Top. (laughs) And oh wow, it's a clip-on, too. Here's number six, you know, I always wanted one of these. Uh, Jot my memory again. What, what's it called? Number five. You know what? I'm going to find a special place to put this. Number four. No, number four. It's because of the first word is boy. Number four. Boy, you don't see craftsmanship like that every day. Any of y'all get the homemade stuff? Okay. Number three. Isn't that such an interesting color? Number two, you, you say that was the last one? I'm glad that you snapped that baby up. <laughs> and here's the number one thing to say about the gifts that you don't like. You shouldn't have. No, really, I mean it. You really shouldn't have, okay? Today, we're beginning our new Christmas series, God with us. God with us. And... Um, Man, when you really think about God with us. Man, it just it, it's kind of it's a little exciting to even say it that God is with us. And so the main passage that we're going to be looking at through this next couple of weeks as we dive into this Christmas series is Matthew chapter 1 verse 23. And it says this. It says, "Look, the virgin will conceive a child, and she will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. God is with us. You know, it's amazing for me to think about God and think about how He could have sent Jesus into this earth to do and accomplish what He desired to do and to accomplish, which is to provide salvation for all mankind. But to think about the way that He did it is amazing to me. The fact that he didn't just come and do what he needed to do, but that he came into an earthly body, and he was Jesus on this earth. And out of all the names that God could have given to him, he said, your name is going to be Emmanuel, because it's really going to be God with us. God with us. You know what that shows us? It shows us that we can come to him. If he has come to us, then we can come to him. We don't serve a God, we don't have a God that is out of our reach, that's out of our grasp. We serve a God who is with us every single day. Think about the the writer in Hebrews as he says, he says, because of what Jesus did, we can boldly enter into the throne room of God. There we will find grace and mercy, which means that for every single person, regardless if they believe in God or not, can still have an encounter with Him because of Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life. And He is with us. And it's through that encounter that life change happens. It's through that encounter that someone says, yes, Jesus and believes in Jesus and therefore is granted eternal life because of that belief. So over the next several weeks, we are going to be looking at different places in our lives that God is with us. And so today we'll be looking at how God is with us in the valleys. How God is with us in the valleys. In order to have a valley, you got to have a mountaintop, right? And for for us, as, if we're here today and you call yourself a believer in Jesus, it's really, really easy to identify that God is with us on the mountaintops, right? I mean, it's easy. Think about it. When you get that promotion at work that you've really been going after and, 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 you, and you finally get that promotion, you're like, man, God was with me all the way. He was with me in the interview. He gave me the words to say, God was with me when our families are doing well. You know, you hit those strides sometimes in your family where it's just everything seems to be going right, where the marriage is good, the kids are doing good, school grades are good, and it's just like, man, it's easy to say, man, God is with us. God's with our family. Or you could be like me, and you get the front row parking spot at Walmart, and then you think, man, God is with me today. I know it seems small, but guys, come on. That is a mountaintop experience if there ever was one. But it becomes more difficult, doesn't it, to believe that God is with us when we're in a valley. When you're alone, or you at least feel alone, like there's nobody that understands where you're at. That in your valley, you're there by yourself, where you're scared because you don't know what the next day is going to bring. You, you, you just, you're scared because you don't know if you're ever going to get out of the valley. When you find yourself in a valley, there are times where you're just asking yourself, God, am I ever going to get out of this? God, are you with me? It also happens when we're hurting. Maybe because of a relationship that broke down. Maybe it's because, the, the, you know, maybe, maybe you have a distant relationship with a child or, or whatever the case might be, or, or, or you just, you're just hurting. It's hard to believe that God is with you during those times. Or you get the bad report at the doctor's office, and you're like, God, I thought you were with me. It's hard to believe that God is with us in those valley times. Do you know what I've come to find to be true? And maybe you can, maybe you can identify with this as well, is that there's times in our lives where we both feel where, where we have the feeling of being on the mountaintop and in the valley at the same time. Where one area of our life, we're knocking it out of the park, and the other area we do feel alone, scared, we're hurting. You know, it, it, it it's like, man. My marriage is good, but my kids, man, they're going nuts. Like, I don't know what's the deal. Like, they're doing bad in school, or they're making bad decisions. And you're like, I just don't understand it. I mean, you know, like, like me and my wife, we're all good. That's a mountaintop experience. But when it comes to our kids, we're in the valley. Or maybe it's we're close to God. Like, we've never been closer to God in our life. And so we're like, man, God is with me. But then you go into the office on Monday, and you get the pink slip there's a mountaintop and a valley going on at the same time you see the bible talks a lot about valleys and often when you read about valleys in scripture this is what they symbolize a valley symbolizes a battle there's a battle going on it symbolizes loneliness it symbolizes a place of desperation now when you hear words like that you're like man i don't i don't want that i don't want to be in The middle of a battle. I don't want to feel those feelings of loneliness. I definitely don't want to feel desperate. But you know what else valleys tend to symbolize in Scripture is valleys symbolize growth. Valleys symbolize a place where your faith has an opportunity to be built. You see, here's the point that I want to make to you today is that you can experience God on a mountaintop just as much as you can experience God in a valley. It's just a different type of an experience. Let me explain it to you this way. We're going to enjoy God on the mountaintops of life, right? We're going to enjoy Him on the mountaintops, but it's in the valleys where we get to really know Him intimately, We enjoy God on the mountaintops, but we get to know Him intimately in the valleys. There's a passage of Scripture in Psalms chapter 84, and this psalm was written by David. And and in this psalm, basically what it is, is it's a song to be sung as they take a pilgrimage to the festival times in Jerusalem. So people that were of the Jewish faith, they would take these journeys, they would take these pilgrimages to Jerusalem where the tabernacle was for a festival. And so they would do this about three times a year. And so you would have to imagine that you live like, it'd be kind of like this. It'd be like, you know, you live on the South Shore, but you're going to take the pilgrimage to the North Shore, which is very hard for people that live on the South Shore, I must say. It always seems like us North Shore guys are going down to the South Shore, and they never want to come up here. It's like, man, just taste the promised land every now and then. You know what I'm saying? Just kidding. Just kidding. We're all one, right? We're all one region, right? Come on. But there's this psalm that's to be sung for the pilgrimage to Jerusalem for the festivals. And I'm going to read verses 5 through 7. It says this, Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Now, it says that they, they pass through the valley of Baca. So during this pilgrimage, these people will have to go through The Valley of Baca. What what is the Valley of Baca? It's a desert country, which means if it's a desert place, there's going to be dryness that's there. There's going to be thorns that are there. There's going to be some wild animals that are there, some vipers. It's a dangerous place. And it's nearly impossible to travel through the Valley of Baca without facing trouble. In fact, the Valley of Baca is also known in to, 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 to some commentaries and by its location, it's called the Valley of Tears or the Valley of Weeping, the Valley of Loss. There would be certain trees that were found in the Valley of Baca that the sap would literally just ooze out of the tree and it looked like the trees were weeping. And so that's where it would get the, 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 the Valley of Tears or the Valley of Weeping. So there are some key things that I want to pull out of these three verses for us this morning that I believe will help us in those valley moments of our lives. Number one is this, is that we have to find our strength in Jesus. We've got to find our strength in Him. Psalms 84 verse 5 says, Blessed are those whose strength is in you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you. You. Now, if you're here today and you say I don't have a relationship with Jesus, and, and and so you know I I haven't quite got to that place where I believe in Him, then guess what? Then what you have is all that you have. So when you find yourself in that valley, it's hard. It's difficult. Because at the end of the day, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus and you find yourself in a valley of life, then what you have in that moment is all that you have. But we as believers, we have access to a relationship with a God who desires to be with us. And David is saying, blessed are those who find their strength in God. Well, how are you going to find strength in him if he's not with you? you got to invite him into a relationship so that he is with you every step of the way. And then you begin to find strength in him during those valley points of your life to where it doesn't necessarily change the situation around you. But it definitely changes something on the inside of you that you're able to take another step and another step and another step so that you can get through the valley. Psalms 28:7 says this. The Lord is my strength and shield. I trust him with all of my heart. He helps me and my heart is filled with joy. I burst out in songs of thanksgiving. The Lord is my strength and my shield. Think about this. David, when he writes stuff like this, he didn't just say it. He lived it out. Think about it. He met Goliath in a valley and he said, you come at me with a sword and a spear, but look at me. Buddy, I come to you with a God who is much bigger than you are. Bring it on. That's the reason that David could pin me. See, it's, 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 he pinned this out of the overflow of his heart. It wasn't the other way around where he was just hoping that God would be his strength or hoping that God would be his shield. No, he was writing this out, out of experience because he had actually walked it out. And he says, look, if God's willing to do this for me, then he's willing to do it for you. So let's declare over ourselves that the Lord is our strength and our shield. And that we will trust him with all of our hearts. This isn't just a a David thing. It's not just an Old Testament thing. But Paul talked about it. He says in 2 Thessalonians 3.3. But the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen you and guard you from the evil one. Paul's saying, look, when you face the valleys, you've got a God who desires to be with you. And not just walk beside you, but be the strength that you need when you don't have any on your own. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. This is when uh, uh, Paul was begging, uh, begging Jesus to take the thorn away from his flesh. And so he says this, but, but and he's begging for God to take it away from him. And what God says to him, or what Jesus says to him, it says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect. In your weakness. When we are weak, his strength is made perfect. Because he's with us. Here's the second thing. Not only do we need to find our strength in him, but we also need to set our minds on him. Psalm 84.5 in the New Living Translation says it this way. What joy for those whose strength comes from the Lord, who have set their minds on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. You see, this isn't just a valley concept. This is a whole life concept, both on the mountaintop and on the valley. But we as believers are to live our lives with our minds set on Christ. We have to set our minds on him. The problem is, is that life takes its toll on all of us, believers and non-believers alike. And for us as believers, it's during those valley times that we begin to get our minds off of who Christ is and on what our situation is, what our circumstance is, what our valley is. We have to set our minds towards him. Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1-2, through two, he says, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ... Set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. But but, but see, what we've done in in the Christian world, and this actually kind of just, it, it doesn't do us any good with people that are on the outside looking in. What we've done is, is we, we, have, we have decided that we are going to become more like the world that we're in than from the heaven that we're going to. I mean, we've been talking about heaven and earth for the last several weeks. That we, I mean, Jesus, he, when he told his disciples the model prayer, he said on earth, pray for my will on earth as it is in heaven. But we get so consumed with the world around us that we fix our thoughts on the here and now. We're fixing our thoughts on where the next meal's coming from. We're fixing our thoughts on what vehicle we're going to drive, what house we're going to be in. We have consumed ourselves with all of this stuff. And yet God is saying, hey, just fix your mind on me. That's why Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. Then all these other things will be added unto you. He's telling us, fix your mind on me and let everything else take care of itself. You know, even John the Baptist, he was like, Lord, more of you and less of me. You know what that was a cry of? That was a cry of a man who was more determined to live his life in in view of the realities of heaven. Mm -hmm. He didn't care what he looked like. He didn't care what people thought about him. He didn't care about where Tomorrow was going to lead him. All he cared about was his heavenly things. And because he thought that way and fixed his mind that way, he became the person to prepare the way. In Philippians chapter 4, verse eight, Paul says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Can I tell you this this morning? That what you think about matters. What you think about matters. You see, your current situation may be in the valley. But your mind cannot be fixed on the valley. It's got to be fixed on him. Let me give you some examples. You might might be in, in a situation in a valley that is producing such anxiety on the inside of you. Guess what? If that's creeping into your life, sprouting up in your life, you're so focused on the valley that you're you're giving water to the anxiety in your life. You need to quit that. You need to start fixing your thoughts on him. I might be in an anxious spot in my life, but I'm going to make a choice to fix my mind on the one that says he is the one who will give me a peace that surpasses all understanding. You might be in a valley where you're stressed to the max. And you just don't know where what what you're gonna do, but you, you you feel like electricity is running through your body because you're so stressed. Guess what? You need to get quit giving life to the stress in your life. You don't need to keep saying I'm stressed out, I'm stressed out. Well, guess what? If you keep saying it, it's gonna happen because that's where your mind is fixed. Your mind is fixed on declaring something over your life that you don't want to be in there in the first place. But 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 can I submit something to you? Some of us in this place, we've been in it for so long that we're more comfortable living in a state of anxiety and stress and hopelessness and complaining that we don't want to get out of it. We say we want to get out of it, but we don't want to get out of it. And so we fix our minds on the wrong thing. We need to say, man, I'm in a valley right now. And there's no problem with saying it stinks. Okay, there's no problem saying it's hard. There's no problem saying it's difficult. But when you get through saying all of that, you need to say, but God. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. So we gotta find our strength in him. We've got to fix our mind on him. Here's the third thing. We gotta keep moving. We gotta keep moving. Psalm 84, 6 says this: that as they pass through the valley of Baca. They make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. Let me just say this. The valley is not the destination. The valley is not the destination. But see, we live in a world today that when we do get into the valley, they just tell us, oh, camp out there. Maybe even build a house there. Because it's it's an impossible situation. Your valley is impossible. You know, sometimes I think that, and I'll say this, for me, for me, even in my own life, there have been times where I have actually said something is impossible. It's not going to happen. The Bible tells us that there's power Of life and death in the tongue That we have An opportunity to speak life In the situations that we find ourselves in But we can also Have the opportunity to speak death Into them as well You know I sat up here Last week and I told you Like a brief testimony right I told you that there was something in our lives That was a fairly big decision For Christina and I And we thought that the outcome that we wanted was going to happen. And then last Tuesday, the Tuesday before Thanksgiving, we found out that we got bad news. And then I sat up here on Sunday and I told you, guess what? Well, it's okay because we got news on Thursday that canceled it out. And I was very excited. And I was giving Jesus some glory, right? Well, guess what happened on Monday? We got news that what we thought was good on Thursday ended up being the same news as what we got on Tuesday. My point is this, is that I was up here on Sunday saying I'm out of the valley. Sometimes what the enemy desires to do is to cover your eyes and get you to think that you're out of the valley. Because the, 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 the enemy at times wants to make things look pleasurable for a minute. For a moment. But he's there to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. And if you think that he's coming with a poster saying that's what he's doing, you're thinking wrong. You need to think again. He comes telling you, oh, it's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. And then when it doesn't, then he's right back at you saying, well, check out what God did to you. What, what do you think about that, partner? But you know what? Guess what? We found that out on Monday. Now listen, we 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 have a 24 hour rule. Hopefully the saints adopted that from us this past week. But we have a 24 hour rule where we can just like you know have whatever set of emotions we're gonna have, but then at the end of 24 hours, we're making a determination that you know what, if God be for us, who can be against us? Right. And guess what? We're gonna walk forward, we're gonna walk in his plan. And wherever that takes us, whether it's what we want in the flesh or don't want in the flesh, it really doesn't matter. It's whatever he wants. Think about that. You think, well, man, man, Jesus even went through that. When he was in the garden, you know what he was praying? He was praying, dear God, please, whatever you got to do, can you save me from this? I don't really want to do it. I don't want to do it. If this cup can pass from me, let it pass. You know what Jesus was struggling with in that moment? He was struggling with his flesh. And in in, in that, I think he was also struggling with an enemy that was telling him, man, pray for a way out. Pray for a way out. Pray for a way out. God will never forsake you. And then Jesus, he didn't have a 24-hour rule. He had like a Three hour rule. And he got to the end of it and he was like, Not my will, but yours be done. We have to be those people that pray that prayer daily. Not my will, but your will be done. That had nothing to do with the message. You got it free of charge. Thank you very much. But the valley is not the destination, it's not the destination. We're going to experience valleys in our life. But do you realize that David says, we're passing through. There's no stopping. We're going to keep going. This wasn't the only time that he talked about going through a valley. In Psalm 23, he said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. You see, so many times when we find ourselves in valleys, We just pray the prayer that says, God, get me out of this. As long as we keep praying prayers like that, we're just going to stay where we're at. Because the way out of a valley is not get out, it's to go through. We have to keep moving. As Christina comes up, here's the fourth thing. We got to dig a well. We have to dig a well. Psalms 84.6 says, They pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The King James Version says, make it a well. Remember that the valley of Baca was a desert place. It was a dry place. And so what you would do if you found yourself in that situation You would dig out a little well, if you will, so that when the rain comes, that the rain would stay in that so that you would have a spring of sorts, so that you would have a place to get some water, to get some refreshment. You had to dig a place for the rain to be captured. When you're in a dry place, you got to dig a well. When you're in a dry place, you got to dig a well. You know what I see a lot in Scripture? Is Jesus saying something like this. Show me your faith, and I'll show you my faithfulness. Show me your faith, and I'll show you my faithfulness. What do I mean by that? Well, Mark really brings it out for us. The book of Mark. In in Mark chapter 2. Jesus is sitting there in a house and he's got a paralyzed guy that had four friends that busted the roof out and put him right in front of Jesus. Jesus just said, your sins are forgiven. Those four friends are thinking, wait a minute, Jack. I didn't do all this work to have that happen. I want you to heal this guy. You see what I'm saying? But here's the thing. He didn't say, Jesus didn't put his hands on the man. And pick him up and start moving his legs for him. You know what he said? He said, take up your mat and get up out of here. What he was telling that guy was, show me your faith. I need to see your faith. And if you show me your faith, I'll show you my faithfulness. The next chapter in Mark chapter 3, he kind of does something similar. And this time he's in the temple on the Sabbath day. And there's the religious leaders that already don't like Jesus and they're already trying to think of ways to trap him. And so then they have this guy that's got a withered hand and Jesus is like, I want to heal this guy. But then the religious leaders had this crazy rule that said you can't heal somebody on the Sabbath. What is that all about? Come on. Like, get a life, right? I mean, geez. So like, But you know what Jesus told the guy? Now, now see, sometimes we read Scripture and we just read through the story and we're like, oh, this is cool because Jesus healed him, right? So he tells him, stretch out your hand. So he stretched out his hand and his hand was made whole. But, But what about the guy? I mean, how much courage did it take for the guy to actually put out his hand? Because at that point, he had to make a decision. Who am I going to show faith in? Am I going to just keep myself reserved because I want to keep my reputation intact for these religious leaders? Because if I do what Jesus says, then they're going to look at me as being a traitor. They're going to look at me as being somebody that's unfit to be with them, unfit to be in this particular uh, religion. And so this guy had a choice to make. Either I'm going to have faith in the religious system or I'm going to have faith in Jesus. we want to focus on Jesus doing the healing and that's all great and good because He does and He wants and He desires to do those things. But Jesus said, stretch out your hand. Jesus said, show me your faith. And if you show me your faith, I'll show you my faithfulness. You see, here's the thing, is that here's the promise. If you dig it, God will fill it. If you dig it, God will fill it. I feel like a macho man in a Slim Jim commercial. Can you dig it? Can you dig it? What what, what does it mean to dig a well? You got to dig a well in his word. You know, so many times we're going around saying, I want a word, I want a word, I want a word. And you haven't opened up your Bible. And look, I'm not trying to be like one of these guys who's like legalistic and all this kinds of jazz. I'm just telling you, like don't complain about me, God not speaking to you, moving in your life if you're not willing to read his word. Because the last time I checked, the Word of God is still living, it's still active, and it's still sharper than any two-edged sword, which means that it's able to get into the inside of us, expose some things, deal with some things, heal some things. Those words that Jesus spoke 2,000 years ago are just as alive today as they were back then. Those promises that were just alive 2,000 years ago are just as alive today. we got to dig into the Word of God. You know what else we need to dig into? We need to dig into the presence of God. You know, sometimes we get so consumed with what time we leaving, when's lunch, where's lunch, what's all this going. Man, come on. You know, my thing is, is this. This guy right here, he doesn't change anybody's life. I don't change anybody's life. You know what changes people's lives? The presence of God changes people's lives. So I've got a choice to make. Either this is going to be all about this guy or it's all going to be about that guy. And if it's all about that guy, then time doesn't even exist. Because he doesn't exist in time. He exists outside of time. Here's the thing. we got to dig into the presence of God. You know, when Hannah was barren and wanted a child, you know what she did? She dug a well at the altar. She got into the presence of God and she cried out to God. She was like, you know what? My womb is barren. My womb is a dry place but guess what? I don't care. I'm going to the altar of God. I'm going to dig a well. I'm going to believe on Him. Believe with Him. And guess what happened? She came with child. And What an awesome child God gave her through the prophet Samuel. We got to dig into his word. We got to dig into his presence. How do we dig into the presence? We dig in through prayer. We got to get on our faces before him. I'm at such a place right now where there's no program this church is going to be able to do. There's no Christmas outreach that this church is going to be able to do that's going to produce the life change that getting on our faces will. We've instituted Tuesday night prayer here, and we've been doing it for a month now. It's on Tuesdays. We've been doing it from 6 to 8. We're going to change that to 6.30 to 8, okay, to give you a little bit more time to get here. But listen to me. Prayer on Tuesday nights, man, you think the presence of God is something on Sundays, Man, it is like on a whole nother level on Tuesdays. Guess what? We're digging some wells on Tuesday so that when we get here on Sunday, we're ready to go. That's where we dig into the presence of God. But we just don't do it corporately. we got to do it in our own closets, on our own time. And we got to dig into the grace of God. we got to dig into the grace of God. You know, we've got an enemy that's called the accuser. So you walk around every single day getting accused. There's somebody accusing you in your ear all the time. Oh, boy, you messed it up now. Oh, look at that. You said the wrong thing. You did the wrong thing. Oh, oh man, you messed it up. You messed it up. You, you're not going to be able to experience God anymore. You know why? Because you're failing. You're failing. See, that's the accuser that's talking into your ear. You've got to dig into the grace of God. When you find yourself in a valley, because here's the deal, there's times where we don't get a choice whether we're put in the valley or not. But then there are times where we put ourselves in the valley and then that's where it gets really hard. Because then we turn the attention on us and then we get so consumed on us that we feel like we're the failure, that we're the ones that, that, that don't deserve to get out of the valley. And so then we want to pitch a tent in the valley because we've gotten ourselves there. Guess what? You need to start digging a well and dig into the grace of God. Now, I'm not saying that that means that you, you just get automatic grace, right? You don't, like, 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 it's not just like you get to choose to do things the way that you want to do them. And then all of a sudden, grace is just going to hit your life. you got to dig into it. you got to dig into it. See, we serve a God who desires repentance, not being sorry. See, sometimes we find ourselves saying, I'm sorry too much instead of, I repent. See, saying I'm sorry just means I feel bad, but I'm going to do it again. Saying I repent says, man, I really do feel bad, but I'm turning the other direction, and I'm not going back. You see, James tells us things like if you draw close to God, God will draw close to you. James is saying, you dig a well, you dig it, God's going to fill it. Jesus said, if you seek me, you'll find me. If you dig it, God will fill it. If you make room for me, He's going to reveal Himself to you. we got to lean in to Jesus. But here's something that I think we need to realize. God rarely reveals Himself when you're rushed. God rarely reveals Himself when you're rushed. We can't treat God like a slot machine where we pull the lever and hope that coins come out. We can't treat the presence of God like a microwave where we press the one button in a minute and our food's ready. You know what God told the prophet on the mountainside? said, I'm not in the earthquake, I'm not in the fire, but I'm in the still, small voice. Be still and know that I'm God. When you hear that phrase, there's nothing on the inside of you or in your brain that tells you that happens quick. Be still and know that I am God we have to prepare for the presence of God I finish with this God never says we won't go through valleys He never says that we will not go through valleys but we never have to go through those valleys alone why? because His name is Emmanuel God is with us He's your light into your darkness He's your peace in the middle of your storm. He's your joy in the midst of your troubles. And He's your strength when you are weak. Remember this. We have to enjoy God on the mountaintops, but we get to know Him in the valleys. Enjoy Him on the mountaintops, but get to know Him in the valleys. Let's stand.